Good morning. I hope y'all are praying because I'm ready and I just need you to be ready. I'm going to tell you right now, I love you and I am so grateful for you. And uh, I am just honored and privileged to be sitting up here with this beautiful woman to hopefully encourage your soul today and to give you great hope in King Jesus. That and that alone is our purpose today. And where, whether this is a regular place for you to come or whether you're visiting with us for the very first time, I just want to let you know that that has been our prayer and a lot of other people's prayers is that we would be able to elevate and brag and boast and bring fame to the name of Jesus. And you get to do that with us here by being here today. So there are so many faces here that God has used to help this day be possible. And so I just want to say thank you so much for that. Um, we are um, uh, want to be able to just share with you, and we want to start with Scripture. We want to start with God's Word because God's Word is sufficient. God's Word tells us who God is. And I don't want us to just jump into the story of what's happened over the last four months without us really wrapping our arms around the beauty of the word and the importance of God's word. So it's important for us to know that how do we know God? We, we know God through several ways, but one of the main ways we know who God is, we know the character of God is we know him through his word. And I would not be able to sit up here and to be able to talk about him if it was, was not for his word. And so what I want to do right now is I want to read you a scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And then once I read that, make a couple of comments there, then we're just going to share uh, from our hearts about what God did in our lives over the last four months. And so I do want to let you know that God uses people um, when you're going through a very dark time. That's what God does. This text was specifically sent to me by a really good friend, good friends. And God used this text really to uphold me with his righteous right hand. And so I want to go ahead and I want to read you this. Paul is writing to the Corinthian churches. He had planted these churches and then they were going through a really bad season. It was really bad. He had to write them two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. And so here we come in chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And I want to read that to you because this will sort of frame where we're going. You'll, you'll see it's going to, I feel like it's going to be very obvious how it's put together. So let me go ahead and read to you 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, okay? I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. It's been a long time since I've been up here. You can tell, right? No, Matt, you did that when you were born. Here, all the time. All right. Yes, 
Yes, I did. Okay, verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Paul is telling them, there were some things that were going on in my life. I want you to know about them. I want to bring you in because I can't do it by myself. For it says, this is the next part. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. That we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, great conjunction right there. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And what does he do? God who raises the dead. He delivered us from a deadly peril that he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is God's word and I'm so grateful for it. First of all, for those of you that might be visiting maybe for the first time or maybe the second time, my name is Matt and this is my beautiful wife, Dana. We have four children and we are on I'm on staff here at Northwest Community Church and have been since 2013. Um, maybe you came in the middle of the summer. I was not here because this great church provided a sabbatical for, for myself. The sabbatical was intended to be a season of rest. I've been in ministry for 22 years and the church, the elders and the church here said, we wanna provide you with an opportunity to just renew your soul and to get rest. Now in God's plan, the time off was what I needed, but it was intended for something much different. And in order for you to understand how the sabbatical was used over the last four months, I just wanna sort of give you a context over the last five years. Um, May of 2016, my mother-in-law, my wife's best friend, Kathy Qualls, was diagnosed with cancer. And seven months later, she died after a brutal, brutal cancer fight. She died January the 4th, 2017. Seven months later, my father-in-law Yeah, my father-in-law, <laughs> my mentor, he came down with a, a, a brain tumor seven months after his wife of 46 years had died. And so we went into caring for him. He was given two months to live. We did chemo. He came home. And to be honest, he came home to our house because he couldn't live on his own. 
And he's been with us for three and a half years. And he mentally is like a fifth grader. So he moved into our house. And that was the fall of 2017. And one year later, in this November of 2018, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And 2019 was surgeries, double mastectomy, and we are presently in a fight to keep that cancer away. There is no cancer in her body. And I want to praise God for that. And so what I thought at that moment was that cancer diagnosis of this sweet woman and, and what we went through as a family at the same time taking care of her dad. And all of a sudden, I thought that was literally the hardest moment of my life, but I was wrong. Because in April of 2021, Dana... My spiritual hero, my spiritual hero, <laughs> um, she went into the darkest and severest depression that I've ever seen in my life. I didn't recognize her. My kids didn't recognize her. Uh, that led to a very long and dark summer full of panic attacks for myself. And praying every day, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so I want to give you that context so that in a few minutes, you will be able to brag and be amazed at King Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing. So that sort of sets the stage for the last um, five years of really what's been going on um, in our lives. But I want to let you know that through trials and, and, and trials, anger, confusion, um, I want you to know this, that I have never been more confused and never been more in love with Jesus than I've ever been in my life. And I can look at her right now and I can tell you that I've never seen her as close to Jesus right now, ever in our um, almost 30 years together, 25 years of marriage. And I want to celebrate that, but I want to keep walking you through so that today you can see the great hope of our great God. And so as we, as we go on, I, I just want you to know that 
we love you, we thank you, and we're, we're, we're just, again, we're glad that you're here today to be able to help us heal. Um, have we been healed? We are healing. Have we been delivered? We are being delivered. And that's what God is doing um, a lot of ways through you. So, Dana, as, as we begin, as we begin our, your testimony and, and going through this, I am so proud of you for being up here to be able to talk about the hardest part of your life. So, I love you, and why don't you go ahead and tell us where you were. Okay. I'm supposed to keep this really close to my chin, so I'm doing that, but it's not very comfortable. So, I really don't want to eat this microphone. <laughs> okay. So, Matt has given you some background, but I'm just going to give you some details because I want you to know how dark it was. So... April 9th, I went to work, and I was not good. And thankfully, some people there recognized it. And I could tell that my brain just was not functioning right. I was, it was definitely broken in some way that I couldn't describe. And um, I was living in a fog, really, and I just couldn't make decisions. And it was just really unimaginable how I was feeling and I had never felt that before and because my brain was not functioning well I was not functioning well in what I felt like were my tasks you know my daily tasks I believed I was a failure at being a mom being a wife being a daughter being a follower of Jesus being a pharmacist I knew that I could not work with my brain in the place that it was. All of it, I was a failure. So I, in reaction or response to that, because my brain was just off, I only laid in bed all the time when I wasn't laying in bed because I didn't want Matt and the kids to tell me to get out of bed, I would lay in the closet on the floor. I would try to do the tasks that, you know, I was used to doing laundry, um, cooking, couldn't do any of that. When I would do laundry, I would close the door of the closet of the laundry room and just lay on the, on the clothes because I could not do it. I was not sleeping at all. I would lay in the bed and just lay there, not look at my phone, not read, not watch TV, just lay there and just think and think and think about what a failure I was and that my life would never be the same, never. I would never be a pharmacist again, that I needed to leave the family because I was not doing anything to help them. I had no emotion whatsoever. I was completely flat in my emotions. Um, I wasn't showering. I would go 
Matt would make me get a shower because I'm sure I was not pleasant. And I would just sit on the floor of the shower and just sit there. I just want you to know how, how dark it was. And I don't know that I could, Matt, do you mind just turning that over? I don't know that I could, um, I still don't think I can adequately explain where I was, but I can give you a picture. And all of this was true to me, that I was a failure, that I would never do anything again. And I was doing my best to convince Matt and everyone I was around, guys, this is the truth. This is my truth. You need to believe it because I just wanted them to know that they didn't need to depend on me ever again. I, I just didn't, I didn't want them to have any hope that I would ever be quote-unquote normal. Um, it got so bad that I reluctantly went away to an inpatient facility for 30 days. I did not want to go there. I was very angry. I don't know that I ever really embraced being there, but it was something that I needed to get medication on board to help me um, fight this because I couldn't fight it alone. I was very convinced, too, that I can fix this. I could fix a lot of things, um, that I could get over this, that me not getting over this was another failure. And so convincing everyone else that I was a failure was something that I did 24-7. I was resistant at home to take medication because I thought I was too far gone even for that. And I was resistant at the facility as well. I was in a dark place. I get if you have been there, and I get if you are there right now. But a dear friend, when I was going through breast cancer, um, gave me the book. Actually, several friends gave me this book. I was glad to get two copies because then I could share one with other people. But it was it's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkhurst. And one of the things I took away from that specifically, many things I learned in that book, but the one that, and I, Matt has referenced this several times over the years, but we live in between two gardens, the Garden of Eden and Revelation 21, where God will make all things right. So in between the beautiful gardens, there are going to be dark seasons that we don't always understand. And those seasons happen to people of faith as much as they happen to people that are not of faith. So I want to encourage you in that those dark seasons are not something that people don't go through. That it's not a punishment because of anything that you've done or not done. It's just living life between two gardens. 
Okay, so I want to read a verse right now, and hopefully that gives you just the depths of of Dana's darkness, our family's darkness. And um, I'm going to go back to the scripture right now, and I'll read you um, where it starts, that conjunction where it just changes. We thought we had the sentence of death, and that was where we were. Psalm 42, 3. I know a good friend of mine directed me to Psalm 42 in the middle of all of this. And Psalm 42 is a lamenting psalm. And the laments of the psalms is where you have permission to cry out to God that you don't have a clue what he's doing. And I want you to look at the laments. Psalm 13 has been a great one for me. God, how long have you forsaken me? How long have you forgotten me? I must take counsel in myself. Then he comes down and said, but I will declare the steadfast love of the Lord for you have dealt bountifully with my soul. Psalm 42, verse three, I believe, says this, my tears are my food. And in the darkness, I can tell you from my standpoint, watching her be in such a dark place, that's where I was. My tears were my food. I'm an emotional guy. If you haven't figured that out right now, this whole box is for me. And um, it was just every day, just crying, crying out to God. Why? Crying out to God. I was angry and crying out to God with hope and crying out to God with, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I want to read to you that in, in, in God's great sovereign plan that he can use the worst situation of your life and teach us great lessons about who he is. The lessons are not just in the good things that take place. More often, they're in the tough times. They're in the trials. They're in that death where you thought it was going to be healing and it didn't. And so I want to read you this verse and it says, so why did we go through this? Or why was Paul asking them, hey, I let you know this this affliction that I've had. I want you to be aware of it. And then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And if we know anything Northwest and larger community, the greatest danger to our relationship with God is when we try to take his place. We are not God and we never can be. He sent Jesus, he sent him to the cross and he took him out of that grave and he is victorious and he's alive and we can have salvation only through him. He did that. We've never done that. And so he's got, so what do I want you to rely on? I want you to rely on me. And I can use these afflictions to help you rely on me and not rely on your strength. You are weak and I am strong. And so then one of the biggest lessons that you learned through this was, tell us, share that with us now. The dark was really dark, but what is the biggest lesson that you feel like God taught you through this? So this was something that when I went away, I feel like the therapist there, and just to describe this place, Matt worked tirelessly each and every day to figure out what is going to help her. And the place that I went... I never fully embraced even when I left, but it was a place that it 
focused on mind, body, and soul. And I think that's so important in these dark places that there was a therapist there, a psychiatrist there, and pastors on staff there, and also a exercise diet expert. So they really directed healing towards all of those sides. And all of those sides really are part of the complex disease of depression. And I recognized that being there, and I appreciated that, but I know seeing people come in and out, that they were regular people that you run into every day. That was key. But my therapist there, you know, they really, they keep asking questions, and I'm like, I don't want to answer any more questions. And I just want you to tell me what to do. And they don't want to do that. So, but, you know, they keep asking questions, and they try to drill down, and I think the biggest lesson was that my performance does not determine my value. And that is something that I think a lot of us deal with. So, you know, from preschool to elementary school to high school, you're always told that you, you sit quietly and you're kind and you're respectful, you also make good grades, right? Because good grades lead you to the next grade, to the next grade, to college, to a career. And so I was very skilled at making good grades and listening and doing all the right things. In high school, I was looking toward, okay, what am I gonna do as a career? And in ninth grade, I really decided that I wanted to be a pharmacist. I knew that that career was very good at, I loved science and math, and so that was fit that bill. And I also knew that it was a flexible career for women who had kids and they could work here and there and not have to work full time necessarily. And so I was very driven to do that. And so I made the grades and I got into college and I met my sweet husband at Gardner Webb. And then I transferred to Chapel Hill. I, like I went to Gardner Webb and I said, okay, no, I went to Chapel Hill and I said, give me the list of courses I need to take at Gardner Webb, you know, the prerequisites and you know, they had a list of their course numbers and all that stuff. And so I went to Gardner-Webb on a presidential scholarship, which Matt, I, Matt was an admissions counselor. So was that just full tuition? Mm -hmm. He wasn't the admissions counselor that gave me the scholarship. That would have been highly inappropriate. <laughs> Matt was a student when I went to Gardner-Webb. He became an admissions counselor later. Yeah. Okay. I just had to put that in there. Okay, so full tuition. Yeah. And so I, I took all the courses, you know, and transferred straight into pharmacy school at Chapel Hill and finished there in 1996. 
and took my boards and got married <laughs> and got that letter in the mail that everybody tells you, you get the letter and it'll say RPH beside your name. You don't even have to open the letter. So you're just crossing your fingers. I got home from my honeymoon, got the letter, Dana Qualls, because they didn't have my new name, Dana Qualls RPH. So there it was. I had a job at Wake Med, and I had performed well continuously. And that is something that really resonated with me when we talked about it. And the therapist brought up to me, because she knew my history, and she said, you know, your value is not determined in your performance because as you grow older, you're not going to be, be able to perform everything you did at a younger age. But also, look at your dad. His value is not any less because he can't do things. And I'm like, of course it's not. None of my family, none of my friends, their value is not less important, but I believed it was for me. I believed that if I wasn't performing highly, I was not valued. And so I think that's pretty much yeah. a, a light bulb idea that was pretty profound. Yeah. You said to me that there are two things to help you get to the place where you say, I am of value if I do this. You said, I'm of value. You said there were two things that helped you see that. Okay, so what is the first one that helped you see, hey, I, um, I realize now that this truth was, was, your performance does not determine your value. What, what helped you see that as truth finally? Well, I don't think that these are in order of which was yeah. more important. But medication uh, was so key. And, and being a pharmacist, that's a hard place of medication. I never take medication. Like, for a headache, I'm like, suck it up. <laughs> no ibuprofen. I'm good. People would ask me, because they knew as a pharmacist, she's bound to have some Advil in her purse. No. I don't carry medication. Um, so I tell everybody else to take medication, but not me. Not me. Um, and the p at first, when I was going to different physicians, I was like, well, that one's not going to work. I know that one's not going to work. I knew too much, right? There's a place where you know too much. And with medication for depression, it takes like six to eight weeks to really have the full effect. And I was like, I don't have time for that. But I don't know what I thought I was doing. I was laying in bed. Um, but I thought, okay, six to eight weeks, and then it may not work, and then we have to wean off that and do six to eight weeks more. I was like, uh-uh, not doing it. So... Matt would just plead with me to take medication. My friends would plead with me, and I was just like, mm-mm. Plus, I felt like I was too far gone. Medication wasn't going to help me. Um, but I'm here today to tell you that God uses medication. I mean, if Matt did not take insulin, he would not be here. Oh, yes, that's true. And he told me that over and over, and I was like, well, medicine helps you, but it's not going to help me. That's just the, the spiral of where I was. I don't, there's no shame in taking medication, and it wasn't that I was 
I felt shameful for taking it. I was just like, I should be able to fix this without medication. There's no shame in taking medication. I take three now. And I will take them for the rest of my life. Uh, two in the morning, one at night. One makes me feel very hungry. And I keep telling Matt that the reason that I'm eating all the time <laughs> is because of medication. And that he shouldn't say anything about it. <laughs> I think I told him that this morning. Yep. She did. So. I think another thing about the medication was I trusted God in the death of my mom. I still don't understand that. I trusted God in the death or in my dad's cancer, which I still don't understand that. I know what it means to trust God. I've been through. I trusted God in my cancer. Did I say that? Mm -hmm. See, I don't know what I'm saying. But I know what it means to trust God. In this case, my brain was broken. And medication was a way that I could see him and his truth again. I hope you don't miss that. I hope you don't miss it. Um, there's not shame. And we're not saying you do it forever, but I'm just I'm saying. I'm doing it forever. Okay. He's doing it forever. There is, there is God, God used that to settle her brain down so that she could see who he was. And um, I'll get to that part in just a minute. Okay, what's your second thing that you feel like when you say, hey, your performance does not determine your value, what is another thing that helped you see that or believe that? Um, God uses people to come alongside you and friends here at church, my Bible study group, when... But the thing about, and I'll, I'll go off on a tangent, babe, just for a second. Um, I was not wanting truth. So just know that when people are in that dark place, they don't want to hear truth or hope. Just a side note. My coworkers, which some of them are here. Specifically, I have to say Mary, who is here, and she will be very upset that I'm saying her name. But she's my, my direct supervisor, and she was Jesus to me and to Matt because I could not even talk to her. So Matt was my person who was talking to work and talking to disability and talking to all these people. And so Mary was definitely Jesus to us both and always said you will always have a job here as long as I'm here and I again in the lies I said she's only saying that so that I won't be upset about that part that I won't feel a failure at that and I and I believed that she was like just saying that and that I would not have a job so but and I'll probably cry. The most important person who did that was Matt. He loved me unconditionally. He told me every day, this is not you. You are coming back. And I said, I wanted him to not be disappointed. So I said, I'm not coming back. Over and over every day and he 
did everything he could to bring me back. But I do want you to know that he couldn't do that if he had not experienced the unconditional love that God gives through Jesus. That had to pour through him to me. And he would say, do not say anything about me because he doesn't want to get any glory from this. And this is not to glorify him or any of the people that helped me. It's the unconditional love that people experience from God in a personal way that allows them to share that with others. And I want you to know, I would love to name everyone, but I couldn't. Some of you have experienced this darkness, and some of you have loved ones that have experienced this darkness. And what I would say is I would encourage you to allow God's unconditional love to throw flow through you to these people that are in a dark place and to never give up on them because the darkness is not true and they will push you away. I pushed many of you away and I tried to convince you that I was too far gone, but I am a testimony to those people who didn't give up on me and They didn't do it out of anything that they could have done on their own. Okay, last thing that I want to share with you, and this one's coming from me as we um, wrap up here. Oh, my. Um, I want you to know, verse 8 says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience. The third thing that I want you to see and I want you to hear is this very clearly. You were never meant to live this life alone. Please understand that you are, to, you are designed by God to live in community, whether you are an introvert or whether you are an extrovert. We need each other. I would not be here right now if it were not for you. You pastored this pastor. And I want to thank you for that. You pastored my soul. You made me realize that I wasn't alone. I could call out several names right now, but I just want you to know collectively in, 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 in a general sense that we're here today to talk about hope and truth and the love of God because of a body of Christ who says, we're going to fight with you. And you did that for me. We went to Apex Baptist Church and we prayed for Dana and we begged God to bring her back. And we begged God to give her friends and we begged God. I never told her that until she got home because I knew she would not be able to receive that. When I looked at my son, Andrew, and I said, tell me one thing that stuck out to you this summer more than anything else. And he says, I can't believe the way the church loved us. I can't believe the Langdons. You loved us well. We're here representing you. We're here representing what the body of Christ is designed to do. You're not meant to do it alone. Paul is sitting there. He's had great afflictions. He tells them, hey, I need some help. I I need some help. And he tells them, he lets them in. I let you in and you lifted me up. And I want to tell you something. I love you and I thank you and I'll never forget it as long as I live. 
Verse 11 says, you also must help us by prayer. This church launched Pray for Dana at 816. I'd get text messages from people all over the place going, hey, I took a screenshot of the alarm on their phone saying, I'm praying for Dana. I'm praying for Dana. That was all of July, even into August. People are sitting there and they're praying for Dana and they're praying for Dana. And when Dana got home, it was really bad. It was really bad. And then something changed. And you know when it changed? It changed the week of her birthday. And I'm not just telling you that because it sounds good. I physically, for the first time, looked at my wife in the eyes and went, wow, there's hope. She's seeing hope. And so I want to let you know that that week you partnered with us, you prayed, you got us to this place. And finally, I would say this. I would say this right now. I, by God's grace, was able to love my wife unconditionally, not because of me, but because of you praying for me to do that. It is not in my power to be able to love that way. It was, a, it was, I felt your prayers to supernaturally love her and fight her, like fight for her, like I've never felt before. But I need you to know that she did not respond to my unconditional love. And I want you to know that I know and got a glimpse of the Father in heaven who gives unconditional love and hears his people say, no, I don't want that. And I feel like I caught a glimpse of how the father feels when he gives his love to all people and people say, no, I don't need it and I don't want it. And I want to close this service right now to just share with you that the God in heaven loves you in all of your messes and in all of your victories. He loves you in your messes just as much as he loved you when he created you. He desires to have a relationship with you. It's only possible through Jesus. And I would sit there and I would beg you, give up your life and accept his gift. And his gift is Jesus. He loves you. We love you. We thank you for allowing us to be able to share a brief, in a way that brings healing to us and I hope brings healing to us. Again, I'll never forget what you did for our family. I look forward to continuing to join with you to make disciples who make disciples. Um, so Northwest, we love you and we thank you. And would you stand with me and let's pray? God, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for taking away our sins. There is one God, and we know you as Yahweh, and we know that you sent Jesus, and we know that you sent Jesus to do something for us, to do something that we could not do. You loved us unconditionally. You loved us profoundly. You loved us sacrificially. And I just want to tell you, I want to thank you for using this church 
to bring our family back together, to, for, for bringing my wife out of this darkness, for bringing um, healing to her life, an ongoing healing. And God, if there is anybody here today that is in a dark spot, may you uphold them with your righteous right hand and may you invite them to talk to us. And God, if there's anybody here today that doesn't, has not experienced unconditional love and does not know what it means to have a relationship with God that's possible through Jesus, I'm asking you right now for them to reach out to one of us, myself. So God, I love you. I thank you for this church. May you be honored as we go forward to make disciples in this community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.